This podcast contains coarse language, adult themes, and spoilers. My name's Peach, and for the past couple of years, I've been helping my friend Shag overcome his childhood aversions to everyday foods in the podcast Fussy Eater. Now it's his turn to help me conquer my phobia of scary movies over one spooky night in the FBI studios, one Wikipedia synopsis at a time. This is Spooko. One of the funnest things about being extremely privileged is that you're really put into a space where you're made to feel uncomfortable. And it's a really good way for privileged, white, uh, well-educated people to sort of understand what it must be like for the commanding majority of people in the world who don't enjoy the monstrous privileges Shag and I enjoy. And one of the more confronting um, ones at the moment happened at our local bakery that I love so much and is like a great joy. And they engage with a local ceramicist, this, this amazing artist, to make some mugs and you know the current trend in mugs is you have your very high quality clay that's often Japanese or Japanese style and you sort of half glaze it with a thick glaze that sort of oozes down the side. It's very attractive. So they had a set of mugs like that and a set of mugs with um, very anatomically correct breasts as part of the um, edge of the mug. And this is a very progressive bakery that's very forward about um, being available to the entire diverse spectrum of people in the world. And I was like, that, that mug is not for me. That is a mug that is designed to make me feel weird and awkward. And I am going to buy a mug to support this bakery, but it's not going to be that mug because that is not for me. And that not for me element happens so rarely to people with privileges like ours that Shag, I wanted to jump to a second example. <laughs> have you heard the musical Fangirls yet? No, I haven't. I have, Fangirls? Not, I have not heard or seen Fangirls. So um, Al and I went to see Fangirls at the Opera House the other week. Um, I was the oldest and um, most like vanilla, boring, straight white dude in the audience and people were going wild and I was like, this is so much fun and I am not a part of the scene that is enjoying this, but I could see how fun it is. And so I'm sort of enjoying trying to check my privilege as often as possible. And as I sit here playing survivalist horror in the back of the car, as my laptop ticks down to 91% now as we try to record an earth-shatteringly good episode. I love how you can't watch horror films and yet you can do things like record a podcast in the dead of night in the back of a car in a very rural place in Australia where I can see out the windows behind you and there are no street lights. It is no. just pitch black. I'm amazed you can do that, but yet you can't watch a horror film. But yes, I do want this episode to be earth shatteringly good. Mm. And here's why. Mm. I do you just think are a bit of a perfectionist and hold yourself to high standards. There is that. But also, yep. you know, your experiences of confronting things within yourself, like one of the reasons I love horror so much is that it is a confronting genre. It it tries to elicit a response. Very, yeah. very, yeah, very powerfully elicit a response. And sometimes that response is unexpected. I had a wild response that challenged my beliefs when I was watching a particular film. So let me let me tell you this story. I was on a flight between Melbourne to Sydney for work. Mm. For 
people who don't know that route, it's, it's sort of, you've got time to sort of watch a film in that time. Mm. And I was watching a film on my phone and I had this moment where, and I know we've joked in the past about films being boring and by and large <laughs> films are boring. Films are far too long yeah, yes. and there are better uses of my time. But mm. I had this moment watching this film and I wrote it down in my phone because I was like, this thought popped into my head and I have to write this down. Mm. Films are magical. Like it's yeah. such a banal fucking thing to say. But every now and then you're in the right moment to be completely transported to another world. Mm. And on this flight between Melbourne and Sydney, I saw this film that created out of nothing like there's there's it, it doesn't seem like an expensively made film i guess we'll probably find we'll find really out soon. yeah yeah let's go but it, it created this entirely new world and then made me consider like as all good horror films do made me consider my own mortality by the end of it and and so i had to go and immediately as 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 a fucking elder millennial as we are mm. go straight onto social media and just write generally Everybody, I just had a mind-blowing experience. I saw this film. I saw it mm. on a phone, like the worst possible place you could see a film. Mm. And I saw it on a phone, on a plane, and it feels kind of life-changing. I think everybody should see it. I expected either nothing, because generally mm. people are like, fuck off, I don't care. <laughs> or I expected people to be like, oh, that sounds cool, whatever. What I didn't expect is three people reach out and be like, hey, do you know that Mark from uni made the score to that film? I went to art school many years ago. The cool thing about art school is everybody went off to do really weird, interesting, creative things in their lives. One of those people is Mark Bradshaw. He's now a film score, score, film score. I'll, I'll, I'll get the correct a terminology. A film composer based in the UK. And he joins us on the pod right now. Mark Bradshaw, welcome. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. So nice to see you, Tom, in here. What was Shag like at uni, Mark, if you can summarise it in, in 60 seconds or less? Uh, exactly how he is now, as he, as he appears <laughs> now. I, I can't really. It's full of um, energy ideas and, um, and 100 miles an hour, a lot of fun. Mark, what's the path to leaving art school um, hopping across the biggest pond of all and finding yourself composing in films? Is it sort of bands and then, um, you know, contacts in the film industry? How did how did things unfold for you? Yeah, it's, it was bands for me, playing in bands and then uh, wanting to, like, play in a pub context but maybe not in a band context. So, so I was uh, not in a band, so I'd write music for a string quartet and perform it in a pub just to see how that would That's go. It. And then <laughs> a lot of, like... Yeah, disappointed audiences, but um, <laughs> so, so wait, so wait, you actually wrote pieces for string quartet. Do you remember that, Tom? Maybe that's like when I last saw you. Like, surely you came to one of those weird gigs. Where... I feel like I do remember that. Yeah, yeah. Fuck. Anyway, a film director came to one of those gigs and was like, "Hey, you should really make music for my films." And so, stumbled into it that way, really. Mark, Mark, when you're when you're painting with every yeah. instrument in the orchestra yeah. and you have every single sound in the universe available to you, mm. is that ever sort of dizzying to say like, look, I'm trying to, I have a melody in mind or I have a mood in mind. What What is the instrument literally that I'm going to select to try to convey this? Is that is that ever just, I can just always imagine that being a baffling 
decision-making yes. process to say this really feels violin-y, this one. Yeah, it is. It is baffling. It's still baffling to me. Yeah, I'm pretty sure like I write melodies for the wrong instrument often it's like and i've got you know all these virtual instruments so i i'm fortunate enough to be able to just try things out on different sounds quite quickly but yeah i just stumble around to be honest and then something lands this is a horror movie aversion podcast and horror scores like mm. the score yeah. in a horror film is so unbelievably important what did you think when you were first asked to score for you know a horror film yeah and I was like aware that I hadn't done it before and I was sure that it was going to come with like a whole thing, you know, that I had to learn what, is, what makes a horror score, what, what is the music, what, what job does it occupy. Um, and the film, so, so You Won't Be Alone, was pitched to me as a horror, like, and in those early conversations leading up to me getting the job, horror came up a lot. But I've got to be honest, as when I started working on it um, and when I started getting scenes and having conversations with Goran, the director, I, I, kind of, I sort of forgot that it was a horror film. <laughs> and it wasn't until like it came out and, and the promotion material came out and I started reading about this finished film that I remembered of. Yeah, this 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 is a horror film. <laughs> a horror film. And, um, uh, Goran did also ask, you know, that f for for the music not to be like traditionally horror. And I don't know if you noticed that, um, Tom, but like, hugely, yeah, hugely, hugely. You know, so I started off really making music that sounds very different to what's in there now. Um, and Goran had this brilliant idea to like um, try and shift it to be more like something that you know, would really work. And his sense was that I should stop kind of scoring to the scene, stop watching the film. And he gave me like um, four paragraphs, little stories, setups for stories that seemed like completely unrelated to the film, but kind of tangentially um, exploring bigger themes in the, in the film. And he asked me to write music based on those paragraphs. One, one of the, little story setups was like a couple in love on a spaceship landing on this like unknown planet and discovering all these new things together that kind of thing and that like led to <laughs> um a bunch of the music that's in there so that was pretty like freeform you know what i mean it wasn't like about teeing up musical events to happen in specific moments within scenes to create a scary effect. Peach, just so you know, there are no people landing in a spaceship in a foreign planet. <laughs> no. Like it's not. <laughs> no, that Which, is not but, the but, film. But that is the film. There is, there is another But it is there, right? the film. Yeah. That's the thing. So, so look, uh, you, you know, you, you mentioned Goran, Goran Stavlevsky. He's yeah. an Australian Macedonian director. This was his debut, which is insane. Yeah. Um, it, it, it premiered at Sundance, which we know for a debut film is pretty amazing, especially for an Australian film. I'm just going to go out there and say I reckon this is the best Australian horror film since The Babadook. But like The Babadook, it's so much more than a horror film, like Mark just said. So, Peach, today we are watching the 2022 horror folk Coming Space of age, ship. spaceship, yeah. <laughs> Australian Macedonian <laughs> production. 
you won't be alone. Oh, I am such a bad spokesperson for this movie. <laughs> <laughs> They've already sold it, Mark. You're all right. Okay, cool. You're all right. Let's do it. horror averse mark as you learned earlier although one horror film i have seen is the babadook so <laughs> the way i could evaluate films is better worse or equal to the babadook and so we'll just see how this unfolds um mm-hmm. being being horror averse as well people give me tips and one of the better bits of advice on trying to deal with the scariness of horror films was from lee tran lamb and it arises from the cliched cliched score of a horror film because if you put the credits on and you see the caption down the bottom of intense music starts playing or scary music starts playing, then you will know to get ready for a jump scare. Mm. And so it's nice to uh, engage with someone who has taken a step past that sort of surface level interaction with the genre. Trailer looked great as all trailers do. Let's go. Let's get it. The trailer (laughs) is interesting. And I noticed in the trailer there were a couple of sounds where they purposefully tried to make this seem like a horror film because I think they wanted to get horror audiences watching this film and and for you to go in there and then go, oh, actually, you know what, it's a bit more than a horror film. In the trailer, and I don't think anywhere in the film, I I, I watched it again today, but you don't do any of the violin scrapes (laughs) or any of the, like, John Carpenter, like, dun. There's none of that in this school, is there? No, yeah, and that was a pretty purpose. Maybe like a couple moments where I was like, oh, we've got to do it. But like generally, no, it's not uh, that kind of thing. And I agree, like it's like what you were saying, that thing of like, you know, if the if the image is scary, the story is scary, this, whatever's happening in the scene is scary and the scary music, it's like a kind of rebel in me does not want to like follow, doesn't want to, you know, respond in, 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 in the way that's, you know, so obviously being asked. If we think about one way of defining what horror is as a genre, it's it's sort of what, what we mentioned earlier. It's art that's designed to elicit this specific response, your sort of mm. horror response, your sort of revulsion, your feeling that something natural has been turned upside down on its head. Mm. And there are all sorts of um, easy ways to do that. And, and like the, the, the jump scare is the easy example to go, kaboo, it's a scary monster that just jumped out from um, behind the wall. Mm. But... Uh, as Shag and you were both alluding to, it strikes me that the more moving and lasting uh, works from the genre are those that are able to be a bit more subtle and a bit more nuanced than that. I'm looking forward to discussing this one. I mean, it's um, it's the film's an allegory, right? Is that 
Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you say, Shaq? <laughs> go. I, I mean, go go I, you, and you'll see. Like this is there's so many things that have happened in this podcast over the last couple of years. As you know, we've been you know we're we're at episode one fifty two, and one mm. of the things we've realized as we've gone through all these Wikipedia synopses is sometimes you can tell if the person who wrote it or the people who wrote it actually gave a shit about the film because yep. they put effort into describing things. And they start trying to eke out the, the 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 broader themes of the film in the description. It's not just a this mm. happened, then this happened, then this happened, then then. So mm. I think you'll 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 discover, Pete, from hearing this synopsis, what we mean when we say yes, this film is absolutely an allegory. There's just so much to it. I have to ask one more thing because it's like I didn't like obviously I've heard the word Macedonia and Macedonian, and there are Macedonian people in Australia. Although I would imagine it's quite a small community and and now i understand the country itself that's just above greece is actually known as north macedonia did you do any research of like folk music or did you did did you do any sort of like immersion in macedonian culture to prepare you for this i did a little listening and like um and research into it. i think it was like pretty clear from the beginning that the music it wasn't the music's job to set up you know time and place in that sense it was more about um it provided another function, I think. It was really interesting to go into that and to kind of, you know, because I guess, yeah, in the film, you do get a real sort of sense of what life might be like, rural Macedonia, 1800s. Um, it feels like, yeah, like it's it's very a, a real experience that you have watching it. And what I think the score music ends up doing is it sort of hovers over the film a bit like the voiceover. Um it's like this kind of more ethereal sort of the, I think the score occupies a more ethereal space within the story, not so much a um you know here's what life's like in Macedonia that makes sense. <laughs> in the, yeah so 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 here's what life's like in nineteenth century Macedonia is where we begin our tale <clears throat> and there's 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 old maid Maria who's a wolf eatress, which is what they call a witch who walks around completely nude with a horrible burned appearance. So her entire body, like she's basically Freddy Krueger. Mm. I also love the term wolf eateress. Like it's just such a fucking cool horror term that feels true. Like I, I don't know Macedonian folk tales. Like it feels like something that is true from that era. Anyway, so... Oh, and in fact, you know what? Because that's the that's the Wikipedia synopsis. Before this even happens, right? The very mm. first shot of the film is a cat comes onto screen. There's no score; it's just the 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 background noise of, I guess, a field. This cat it doesn't goes, land on a piano or anything. <laughs> <laughs> this cat goes. This cat goes off screen. We hear this like the sounds of like <laughs> clearly this cat's been torn mm. to shreds. Then the cat comes back on screen. And then we follow from the cat's perspective going through like a rural 19th century Macedonian farm into a hut where there's a mother looking after a child. So that's how the film begins. And it sets up the fact that these wolf eateresses are shapeshifters. But how they shapeshift is a particularly gory uh, technique. Anyway, so this, this old maid Maria enters the home of a newborn baby. The terrified mother is basically like, knows exactly who she is and is like, 
please don't take my child. And Maria's like, what, this thing? I'm not going to take it. I just want to drink its blood. And <laughs> like, it's actually, hey, no, no, but it's actually like this film, this scene is like so chilling. And there's no music at all to the scene. To like, to your point, Mark, it's like, there's no like, or like anything. There's nothing. Mm. It's told very naturalistically. This, this witch in this hut in the middle of nowhere, basically being like, I want to drink the blood of this child. And the mom's like, please spare her life. I know who you are, old maid Maria. I'll let her be your daughter. Just let me keep her till she's 16 and then you can have her. Old maid Maria goes, well, how do you want to settle this covenant? The mother gets to her knees, gets a knife, cuts herself and is like, we can make this a blood covenant. And old maid Maria is like, what? And the baby just gets away scot-free. In fact, I wrote down the line because every time, like seeing it again, it was so fun. Also, if you don't like babies being harmed, this is not the movie for you. She literally (laughs) says... Who likes babies being harmed? (laughs) Hey, this is such a good baby harm film. (laughs) Old maid Maria says, and this little one won't get away with a mark? I think not. Mm. Reaches into, and this shot, like we don't cut away, reaches into the baby's mouth and tears out its tongue. She leaves. The mother then decides to hide the child. So, so the child's name is Navina. Takes Navina into this cave without a, with I guess like an open air ceiling. So it, it, I guess it's like an enclosed rock wall. And there's an implication that it's somehow protected from the witch's magic. So it's it's behind a heavy door, and basically she starts raising Navina there until she's 16. So Navina basically lives in a cave for 16 years of her life. Doesn't can't speak because she doesn't have a tongue. Has never seen anyone but her mother. Basically, that's her existence. And this is where I think there's a piano theme that you wrote for this film, which I think is gorgeous and shows up at a few key moments. And I think the first moment it appears is when we have a bit of a montage of her in this cave. And it's how she reacts to rolling around in the leaves or to, I guess, snow coming th- or like rain or snow coming through and her just reacting to it it almost feels like your score and the music you made to your point about it being ethereal it feels like in this film the score represents wonder and human wonder is that kind mm. of true yeah yeah definitely yeah because like after that what you've just described like the story then goes into like it's then above ground and her experience uh, her having first experiences uh, from that point on, right? And I think the music is sort of, is underlining that, I suppose. It's like experiencing things for the first time. And I kind of saw it as like uh, being, you know, a student in life and like the tiniest of things can just, um, can be uh, a wonder, you know? And uh, it's a pretty unexpected thing to receive in a film like this, I think, you know? And this, and this is what I mean. Like, horror is the best genre, mm. right? Like, the fact that it can do this. And, and, and this film does not scrimp on the baby hurting or the entrail gouging, as you're going to see really soon. So on Navina's 16th birthday, Old Maid Maria arrives in the form of an eagle. The mother chases the bird out of sight behind this rock. There's a lot of off-screen eviscerating in this film. Yeah, okay. Where 
she kills the mother and takes her form. She then comes out to Navina and is like, well, come on, Navina. man. Basically, yeah, okay, right? Yeah, no. <laughs> right? Right? Like, it's me. <laughs> I'm your mother. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the opposite of that. She's, that, she's like just, <laughs> she's just completely deadpan, right? The, when, that's how you know yeah. it's like something's happened. She's horrible. I mean, she's a bitch from that from that point. She's like, yeah. She's a massive yeah. bitch. And you, yeah. you realize what, like, there's there's so much depth to this film. But anyway, yeah, so basically, Old Maid Maria, as Navina's mom comes out, and she's like, come on. And so Navina goes outside, and for the first time in her life, like, I was trying to, I was trying to think about what I could compare this scene to, but I think this film's already been quite horrific, right? Like this witch comes and is basically like, you have no choice. I'm going to take this baby. And this mutilated child. Right, this mutilated child. And then this child basically lives 16 years with stone walls around her, with no companions, with with nothing. Like, again, it's like this in, horrible experience. And all of a sudden, this witch comes along, kills her mom, takes her outside. And for the first time in her life, she experiences the world. And she's both incredibly scared, but also there's this element of like, fuck, like, what is all this stuff? There's a really great Bluey episode where Bluey's dad, where the where Bluey's like, what do you mean when you said I wasn't born yesterday? So he pretends he was born yesterday. And he's like, what is fridge? And what is that hot ball in the sun? And it's like mm. that. She approaches the world with absolute wonder. Mm. So outside the cave, Old Maid Maria kills a donkey then scratches Navina's chest and spits the donkey's blood onto her before burning her wound with fire. She explains that this is her spit. Witches can only have one of these in their life. It's a little bit video gamey that they have, they have one move that they could do once in their life. But she can spit once and that creates another witch. And so she's now turned Navina into a witch like her. The only thing that changes with Navina is that she now has retractable claws and she has a sort of fleshy hole in her chest that she can open, open up that is revealed pretty soon to be how they shapeshift. Because Marie, Old Maid Maria then pulls guts out of this cavity in her chest Blah. and then transforms back. Into, it's, a very, it's, it's a very gory film. I mean, like, <laughs> it, it, it's funny how beautiful and life-affirming this film is, but also how like brutal and unflinching this film is. Were you surprised by the gore or the gory moments in it, Mark, when you were when you were going through the script? Yeah, like yes and no. And then like, what else is kind of surprising about it is how sort of everyday the gory elements are. Like, I mean, when you first see it, it's like, whoa, that's pretty intense. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it's about halfway through the film. It's like, oh yeah, this is just the world. This is how, you know, this is how things roll. And and there's not too much fuss made about, like, it just happens, you know, it just happens in the same way that, like, other things happen in the film, you know, it's not like a, it's not like. It's not a transgression in itself. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's, it's got its score for sure. So yeah. Navina, not understanding what has happened, believes the witch is still her mother. And so the film has, like, a couple of techniques. So it has Mark's score which is not, like I, like, I don't think it's subtle. It's amazing how it kind of, it stands out because it's not always there. And when it happens, you notice it. That must be the case of the fact that you weren't writing to the film. You were writing to these passages, right? Yeah, those paragraphs that I was describing. And then um, 
And then it was like try like Garan would take these pieces that I wrote and just try them in different places in the film and just to see how it would work. Um, yeah, so it's not surprising that sometimes it's just like a piece of music might just stand out in a way that score music doesn't usually, you know. Um, yeah. Uh, and there's this voiceover running through it all as well. I think the voiceover and the music sort of like it it sticks out. It's not sort of under the film, but on top of it, if that makes sense. Yeah, because right. remember, this is this is this is Navina's internal monologue because she can't speak, but she mm. also doesn't understand what happens. So she calls the witch. Uh, she she knows now that she's a witch, and she doesn't quite understand that the witch consumed her mother. And she's basically just following Old Maid Maria all around. She's confronted by this shepherd who comes out of nowhere. Old Maid Maria kills the shepherd, who clearly is like, Naveen is a bit of a babe. And it's it's pretty clear from the onset that 19th century Macedonia is a very predatory okay. and difficult place, and especially <clears throat> difficult for women. There's a there's definitely a feminist undercurrent to the film. Mm. Yeah, totally. And and I think I really got that, like when I watched it sort of for the first time as a finished thing, I was like, that came through really strong. And I I, I, I thought about that um, the most afterwards. And like the fact that she can shape shift between, you know, male and female, have that experience of what it's like to be a male, the armor that, that gender is and the privileges it can afford and that kind of thing, having that experience for the first time after being repressed as a woman and beaten about and that kind of thing. Um, I thought that was, yeah, really powerful for sure. So, so. Sorry, I don't, you're, you're going chronological. I'm just kind of jumping over. No, Sorry. but I love That's this. I love job. this. I'm about it. Like, but this is also this film, right? This film is not a chronologist. Yeah, like, I mean, it true. is, but. Yeah, it jumps it's, about. It really does jump about. Yeah. So Old Maid Maria kills the, the shepherd and it's basically like humans are going to want to kill you. You're a witch now. You're not one of them. We need to fend for ourselves. She tries to teach her to catch and kill rabbits and fish because by drinking their blood, it gives the witches power. But Navina would rather play with the creatures. And Maria, disgusted, is like, fuck this. You can go fend for yourself. And they go into the forest. Navina watches Maria kill a fox, put its guts into her, shapeshift into a fox, and then run away, leaving Navina who has never really lived in the outside world, who has only followed this woman, has never been taught the ways of the world, has never been taught how to live, is now a witch. witch. Basically is is now just like fending for herself. Anyway, Mm. she comes across a village where we see a young woman, Bosilka, who's played by Numi Rapace, who you might remember from Lamb and also the girl with the dragon tattoos film. Basika, and like again, this is like number. This is like feminism, but also how fucked is like nineteenth-century Macedonian culture or nineteenth-century, you know, rural serfdom in any <clears throat> country. She is on the side of a fence, holding onto both bars, standing up, giving birth, while two, I guess, women from the farm are acting as midwives. One of which is like. It's been two hours for fuck's sake. Like it's literally like guys, oh, <laughs> like tapping the old watch. Mm. Oh um, God. Basilka gives birth to the baby. Someone takes the baby away and one of the midwives is like, okay, back to the cornfield. And she goes back into the fields to work. Uh... So shortly afterwards, Navina explores the village, hears the baby crying, 
finds it in a crib in the barn. Basilka's like, what the fuck, get away from my baby. Navina, not really understanding how her claws and her body works, kills Basilka, but then is like, hang on, I can assume your form. So takes Basilka, like, you know, uh, uh, opens Basilka's, like, you know, chest, takes her guts, puts them into the cavity in her <laughs> chest and and becomes this woman in the village, you know? And, and to what Mark was alluding to before, what you start to realize about this film is through the eyes of Navina, we don't see her journey. We see all these different journeys of people mm. through these different like interconnecting villages. So Navina, who is still mute, assumes Basilka's life. And this helps them because they're like, something's happened to her. Obviously it's Basilka, but she's you know she clearly can't talk anymore uh, mm. her family believe that she's gone mad but Navina slowly learns how to live as a human how to cook and wash how to communicate non-verbally and the differences in how men and women treat her all the while maria watches from afar um why doesn't she have a tongue when she shape shifts into someone who does have a tongue <laughs> <laughs> Mark, Mark, if you could text Goran just to just to let us know. <laughs> oh my God, you found the plot hole. <laughs> that it's it's because it, yeah, it's this scene right at the beginning of the film when 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 this main character Navina is stolen as a baby. Uh, well, not stolen, but kind of um, turned into a mutilated. Witch. Okay. Mutilated, her, her tongue is cut out. But but you, I mean that doesn't that, that's, that's, that doesn't you answer said that right. But that doesn't answer Peach's question of if she shapeshifts into another person mm. who has a tongue, why doesn't she get yeah. the tongue? Oh, because she hasn't learned how to speak. Right, she's had sixteen years. Of right, time. Oh, of course. so the tongue is still yeah. there. She can't use oh, it. Yeah, Peach, I thought okay. that was a really good plot. I thought you got that. That was a good one. Oh well, look, come with <laughs> and actually, I think there are. Yeah, as as that character, she does sort of like make little sounds here and there, like I think uh, you know sounds that a baby might make when it's trying to speak for the first time. And actually, to be fair, if she didn't have a tongue, they'd be like, "The silka, where's your tongue?" They'd be like, yeah. that's weird. The the tongue mm. inspector would be like, "Fucking the silka." <laughs> <laughs> all right. Okay. All right. Um, one night. Now, now, so so they they make it very clear in this Wikipedia synopsis where. She notices the differences in how men and women treat her. And basically, like, the men treat women like... Uh, well, very well. Is that where we're going? Well, 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 she has a really nice monologue where she describes how, you know, when the woman and the man are in the hut together, the woman isn't the woman. She is the stew she's making for the man. She's the tea she's bringing. She is the whatever, but she's not herself. You know, and, and that is a really good summation of of what life is like but basically this this abusive husband's fucked he tries to have sex with her she doesn't know what sex is at the moment right like when she sees the woman giving birth there's a scene where she basically looks down at her like genitals and is like what the fuck like does, is that what happens so when this husband tries to have sex with her she doesn't know what's going on and i think the implication is she cuts his penis off like it feels like there's a lot of blood down there maybe i'm wrong yeah yeah, I think so. Yeah. The inference arises. Yeah. Something like that, yeah. She panics and leaves. She removes Basilka's entrails from her chest cavity, reverts to her old self and flees. Oh, uh, so she can't store up previous forms. <laughs> 
She's got to vomit <laughs> back out the entrails. Basically, yeah. She can't, yeah. I mean, What's it called in video game? Like a skills chain or, yeah, or whatever? Yeah, she doesn't have a skill tree. But also it'd be interesting to see if she mixed and matched different entrails from different people into her cabinet. Oh, uh, to become a centaur or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> All right. Okay. All right. All right. On the road once more, she transforms herself into a dog and comes across a group of men. She follows them into their village, then assumes her naked form and lures one of them away. The man attempts to seduce her. And this is a really interesting moment where she's like, okay, I know what sex is, but she's basically like, this isn't fun. I'm not enjoying this. Yes, attempts to seduce her. Like, yeah, that is, that is not what he attempts to, to do. He attempts to rape her, to sexually assault her. Yeah. yeah, 100%. So like I said, Wikipedia synopsis, you can mm. infer lots of things. I think they mm. like the film. I also think they were definitely dudes who wrote this. But yes, so basically attempts to sort of, I mean, like. Consent, yeah. Yeah, look, let's, yeah. I've said my piece on this. I haven't seen the film, but um, yeah. I'd be surprised if there was a 19th century Macedonian understanding of consent. And and it's pretty clear there really isn't in in this world. But anyway, so she's clearly like, well, I'm not into this sex. So then she kills him and assumes his form. And now she's a dude. And to what Mark said before, all of a sudden we've experienced life in this, you know, village mm. world from a woman's perspective. Now we see it from a man's perspective. So she's never had an ice cream as well. She might be like, oh, I wonder what that, <laughs> wonder what that tastes like. She should definitely have an ice cream. That would be yeah. fucking amazing. She, yeah. She deserves one after. <laughs> she deserves one. <laughs> <She's vicious. laughs> In a way, when she's a dog, that's a sort of ice cream moment because she gets to watch these boys masturbate. Like she follows these boys. Um, uh, they're kind of going off into the uh, like into the into a field kind of where they can't be seen by a river or something away from all of the adults. And as a dog, she follows them and is privileged to be able to see them jerking off together. Um, I guess that's sort of a nice cream moment. That is a nice cream moment. (laughs) (laughs) So she learns how to plow fields and thresh, but still acts in a confused and childlike way. So this time... The peculiar behavior, they're not like she's, and it's probably the difference between how men and, uh, and women are treated. With mm. women, it's like, she's just crazy, classic crazy women. Where a man, it's like, there's something wrong. We must do something about it. So the, the women of the village believe he's possessed, which is like, fuck, like how right can they be? Yeah, right? well done. Um, they attempt an exorcism, which they believe is successful, but say that the wolf atris that bewitched him will one day come back and spirit him away. Again, Maria is watching from a distance, but this time she comes up to him while he's alone in the barn and is basically like, they'll never accept you. And when they know who you are, they're going to tear you apart. Like, she's like the shittest mom ever. Like, instead of building up Naveena's confidence, she's just constantly there to drag her back down. But that doesn't even do anything productive. It's like, oh, well, fucking thanks. Like, <laughs> you, like, what, do you want an I told you so when that happens? Or what, like, what's your, what's your medal? What's your prize for that, old maid Maria? So Naveena persists, enjoys his life in the village. So what I think, it's not really a chronological film. It's more like life in that you have these experiences and you learn from them and you move on. So she now has sex with a woman who, in a barn, and there's, again, it's it's, like none of this is like, it's not male gazy at all. I don't know if it's necessarily female gaze, but it's just, it's, 
it's witch gaze, I guess, is the way, or it's, <laughs> it, it, you know, like, like or alien gaze, you know, like the, the way they film this scene is, is almost comical in the way we see his face. They basically be like, oh, fuck, this is awesome. And like almost, <laughs> incredu- yeah, yeah, almost incredulously <laughs> being like, yeah, cool, let's, let's keep this, this is rad. Like it's really very, <laughs> like there are these funny moments in this film. Did you, like, I can't even remember. Did you score any, like, did he use any of your score over any of these sex scenes? Uh, it, uh, there's, no, there's no kind of rule for it, but that one that you're just describing, the, I remember there is some music there. Yeah, there's a piano piece, um, kind of very simple things. Yeah, it's just like these notes that kind of represent, like, kind of lights turning on, you know, which is <laughs> probably the case for him. <laughs> I was going to say, have you scored sex scenes before? What's the rule for scoring a sex scene? <laughs> it's, you know, there's, there is no one rule depending on what the scene's doing, you know. How do you make a scene hornier with music? You could do a really corny job of it, right? What's that? How do you make a scene hornier with music? Um, I've never had that request. Um, That'd be a good, a good brief. But look, it's a good <laughs> yeah. movie, but it's not a great movie. Mark, we need your help. <laughs> they don't score porn films anymore, but they did, you know, in yeah. the 70s. Um, yeah, like, that would be a cool gig. So a- as this happens, Navina keeps having these really beautiful monologues where she's basically relaying what it's like approaching the world for the first time, right? And one of the things she talks about is, I think they call it eye, wa- eye water in the film. Mm. She, she notices that, uh, you know, a lot of the women cry, but she's never been able to cry. And, but once she's a man, he goes to a mountain range on a walk and discovers the body of a dying girl who has fallen off a cliff and crying for the first time immediately sheds her male form and assumes that of the little girl leaving only the man's bloodstained clothes behind. And then basically integrates... Doesn't he leave the, his organs behind? As well? the, sorry, doesn't, doesn't I mean leave his organs behind? No, no, well? so, so it's at some point, I don't think they really say... Like, I think there's like a throwaway line, but basically by assuming the form, the body is witched away. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah, look, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, sorry. Let, let, no, 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 no. It's a little bit witch ex machina, but I mean, yeah, you've got to give yeah, them something. Right. Yes, yes. <laughs> so I think this is probably the moment in the film where I wrote down films are magical because she now goes back to this mother who thought she'd lost her child and was like, never run away again. I told you how dangerous the rocks are. And then oh, lives sick. her life as a child. Amazing. And she has this monologue where she's like, I never knew it could be like this. There is this is a this mm. is a place where there's your score. Tell me about scoring the moment of her childhood and discovering how amazing it is to be a child and mm. be with family and be with friends. Mm. Yeah, I love that bit too. It's really I found that really moving as well. Um Again, though, like I didn't, I didn't actually score specifically to that. But he was I, like, was "Imagine probably... there's a sheep and a horse, and they <laughs> yeah. meet for the first time." <laughs> yeah. There you are in 1960s swing in London, and <laughs> <laughs> there's like, um, there's 
you know, I made I did the score in lockdown as well, so I had to think about like you know I couldn't work with lots of musicians and you know and and I had to be economical, but I knew that it would be nice to have sort of a, a kind of some moments that feel orchestral and getting them to be as simple and and um, as they could be, but still be lush and something that you know would have that sort of quality. And I think this this scene that you're describing when she's the, the young girl for the first time that they use that that kind of orchestral piece that maybe comes up a couple times in the film but yeah it was just like I think I was still on like you know how do I express wonderment you know that was my brief Mm. (laughs) um as simply as I can with innocence and without tricks and just like that's what I remember yeah this podcast does many things and it is you know it is an exposure therapy podcast Mm. it is entertainment obviously as all podcasts are but in a small way, I just need to amplify this film because it is so utterly amazing. And it has these moments because to your point there, it's not a complex film, but it is a film with incredible depth. So you can watch this film and really understand what's going on, but it will stay with you for a long time. But anyway, so mm. so she's been a woman, she's been a man, but now she's a child and she's like, she's just having a great time. And she even starts to notice this boy who also seems to be mute. And they start having like a like a clearly like a little bit of a friendship. Anyway, so one night she and the other children ask, you know, the elders of the village to tell them a local legend. And somebody mentions, tell us the legend of Old Maid Maria, which is pretty wild for Navina to just be like, oh. <laughs> oh, crazy! Sounds crazy. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That <laughs> but also, she doesn't know Maria's backstory. She knows Old Maid Maria, uh, but she doesn't know her backstory. So anyway, so mm. they tell the backstory, and this is wild. So centuries ago, Maria, aging and unmarried, happened across a witch or a wolf eatress in her like grain silo. And the scene again, like you forget this is a horror film until she opens this dark door, and there's this like naked witch with blood streaming down her mouth, clearly like gnawing on an animal and like looking up at her from the dark. Mm. And then she just walks out the door and Maria follows and she's like, please find me a husband. I want to have a child. Find me a husband. The woman initially resists, but then turns around, scratches her and then spits blood on her. Now, if you remember, that's the first part. But that's not the whole thing, right? Because you need fire to finish uh, the belt. So she's not a witch yet, right? Anyway, so later, Marie is approached by a man who offers his son's hand in when marriage. When we say later, sorry, this is 400 years ago. So this is, this is, this is, this is slightly later than 400 years ago, but yeah, still. Yeah, so this is 399 yeah. years ago. Yeah, yeah, right, okay. yeah, yeah right, right. So 399 years ago. Maria is approached. And by sorry, Mark, I should just tell you one of the themes of this podcast is struggling with flashbacks <laughs> and just having like alternate timelines and get, <laughs> getting a little confused. Mm. I think flashbacks time. are difficult at the best of times, but within mm. a Wikipedia synopsis, they become Oof. incredibly unwieldy. Mm. So Maria is approached by a man who offers his son's hand in marriage. She accepts, but upon arriving in his home, it's so like this is so fucked discovers that the son is dying of disease and is basically comatose she is made to have sex with effectively his corpse because that man's mother doesn't want him to die a virgin and they essentially force her onto him and you know Uh. as, as as a as a family rape her with the son 
by basically being like, it's more important that my son doesn't die a virgin than you not having to experience this. So Maria falls sick herself because obviously the man is ravaged with disease. And so she finds a cow and she basically kills it and drinks the blood and is like, please give me strength. I know that that's how witches get strength, not realizing that the spit hasn't been completed. She's discovered drinking the blood and is seen as a witch. So the villagers decide to burn her as a witch. Like, God, her, her story is so tragic. And the way they burn her, it's so fucked. So they strap her to a ladder, I guess, crucifixion style. Yeah. And face first, lower her into the fire. Was this part of the pitch that you were given when you were first told about this film? (laughs) Mark got a great idea for a film. You're going to love it. (laughs) It's right up your alley. Um, not that that de- that detail didn't come through in the pitch, but yeah, when I read the script, it was like, yeah, wow, holy moly, yeah, crazy. And of course, because she's now a witch, she then walks out of the flames. And look again, I don't think they had a huge CGI bu- budget, and be keen to hear what Will thinks about the effects. But it's quite unnerving to see this woman and her essentially her skin gone, completely aflame, but alive, walking out of the fire. And this is, yeah, the, and that's the origin story of Old Maid Maria. Mm. Yeah, God. So she emerges from the fire, and that's how she became Old Maid Maria. And I guess up until this point, you are sort of wondering how she got all of those burn scars. Yeah. That to keep that intrigue, right? Well, part of me was like, that's what witches look like, and and I guess okay. it's kind of set up to be like she's a monster. Yeah, interesting. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. don't you think like the whole like, film she's is a, like, she's, yeah, she's like, yeah, there are witches yeah. out there, but she's a bad witch. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. She's an evil witch. She's a demon. But but the whole backstory, it's like everything about it. It's like why she doesn't trust people, why she wanted a daughter, all of these things, right? Like Mm. we now understand why Old Maid Maria does what she does, why she's jealous of Navina, why she Mm. wanted Navina. All of these things all start to make sense. Anyway, so Navina, this is kind of amazing. Navina decides to stay as this child, grows up and decides to marry the boy from her youth. And her discovering love is so, it's so beautiful. They become really close. She shows him her witch's talents, but he's not afraid. They have sex in a really beautiful scene where it's properly like, ah, this is what it's supposed to be like. We talked about White Houses, that Vanessa Carlton song before, Mm. where it's like, especially in, you know, in popular culture, your first time is built up as, the moment, wow, everything's going to be, mm. but it's actually like, no, no, no. Like the first time you have sex is a bit of a stepping stone, but then eventually you find mm. someone you love and you connect and you're like, oh, wow, this is what two people coming together is supposed to be like. And this is a horror film about witches. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> yeah, what yeah. the fuck? Anyway, so they make love. She becomes pregnant, but tragedy strikes when her husband is killed by a ball, which Navina immediately recognizes as a shape-shifted... Old Maid Maria. Yeah, sick. They have a funeral. Navina decides to shut herself away, afraid that Maria is going to take her newborn child. But the women of the village promise to protect it. However, one chilly morning, she comes home, discovers her midwife has been killed, and that Maria has seized her baby. The witch is basically like, this little runt, this came from your guts. I think these are actually her words. It's like this little runt, she came from your guts. This is what it's all about. 
and Naveen is like, please don't do anything. This is this is actually like one of the most fucked things I've seen in a horror film. But it's like uh. in in this film, it's it's lost. It's I guess the blows lessened. I'm I'm keen to hear what you thought about this scene. But before I go into the full scene, basically, Maria leans down with one of her talons and slits the throat of this bird. Oh god! And, mm. and we see the blood come up. Like again, the camera does. It's a straight shot of this child's mm. throat being slit. I don't know, Mark. Like again. Was this something you were aware of? Did you see it for the first time in the cinema? What were your thoughts? Yeah, uh, I, I've, I've, so I read the script and then, yeah, it was kind of like getting these early edits through and seeing it. And um, But it only, yeah, how powerful it, that scene is and how disturbing and, and shocking. And it only hit as I saw it, really. And it's like, holy. And it kind of, yeah, it's like watching the film. I'm like, what is this film about? And that kept the answer to that kept shifting as I was watching. And then in this moment, it's like, oh, that kind of like mother, daughter, <laughs> or like parent, child relationship. Um, it just made me aware that, you know, the film is really exploring that in, in a very epic, mythic way. So Navina, without even thinking, without hesitating once, picks up the baby, takes it outside, bites into a cow, takes the blood, spits <laughs> it onto the baby, then holds the baby to the fire. Yes, <laughs> He's yes. like, oh, my God, like, oh, my God, <laughs> turns the baby into a witch. Maria, who now, like, to that point of that mother-daughter thing, mm. basically looks at her and, God, it's like the most heartbreaking moment. She turns to Navina and she's like, how is that so easy for you? Like, and, and there's so many, there's so many parts to that. Like, how is it so easy for you to have a child? How is it so easy for you to want to protect your child? And pass as a human as well, I suppose, which is something she's never been able to do. To, to be happy, like kind of relatively. This was her warning. They'll never accept you. Yeah, yeah mm. like her, her yeah. whole warnings. And it's like, but no, she was accepted. Anyway, mm. Navina's like, I don't care, kills her witch mother. And she's holding this baby that's now a witch and there's there's a moment where she's like what the fuck have i done what do i need to do but then the film cuts to her remembering being a man being the village woman and then being her original self coming out of the cave cuts to black and she simply says and yet and yet and then that's the end of the film and then mark's piano score comes back on (laughs) it's so good peach what did you think yeah, 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 yeah. Piano score and everything. Uh, Eleven, eleven out of ten. That's a that's a very satisfying conclusion to that story. I must say, it's it's you know, Mark, Mark, as we said before, we often fumble around of like what is a horror film, and in the early um, discussions of it, we thought, oh, it's got to be a grim ending. We got to have the rug pulled at the end. We can't really have a happy ending for it to be a horror film. But I find that to be quite a triumphant, optimistic, concluding note. You know, we look ahead with our villain vanquished uh, and even partially redeemed and then, well, not quite partially redeemed, but rendered empathetic and then destroyed, um, which, you know, happy with both of those and then with a bit of hope for the future. I'm I'm pumped up about that. That's fantastic. What other films are you going to be scoring, Mark? This was uh, was great. um i've just finished this film called run rabbit run um which also happens to be a horror movie 
such a good title for a horror movie. Yes. I'm already like, <laughs> and uh, and for the score, I collaborated with Australian musician called Marcus Whale, who's um, who's amazing, and um, from Collarbones. That was a lot of fun. Collarbones, yeah. Um, does you know a lot of work with FBI and stuff. I think so. Mm. Yeah, it was it was fun and a little more. Um, you know, the music is scary. I, I was scaring myself, you know, I was just like, someone, you know, my flatmate would come down the stairs, like jumping out of my seat. It's just, I was a mess. Just, yeah, I guess I thought I had thick skin, but actually I'm quite affected by, um, by this stuff. Yeah. There's some, yeah. So yeah. Check that film out when it comes out, I guess it'll, I don't know when, but it's, it's done. It's, um, they finished it. Last Mark, week, you're a, you're a born marketer. Um, we will be <laughs> we will all be tuning in for it. Um, I'm really I'm just saying that because you know it's a horror podcast. It's like when am I going to get a chance to have like <laughs> eleven out of ten? I consider it to be the equivalent or only slightly worse than the Babadook, which is a pretty high rating indeed. I don't know how would you guys compare it to the Babadook? Can I ask a question though? Before do you actually mm. do you watch these films? No, fuck no, Mark. Are you serious? <laughs> so you're just getting the Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah, okay, cool. Okay, yeah, cool. yeah, no, yeah. no. It's a it's a horror version podcast. We should we really should have covered this before this discussion. <laughs> Maybe we should have. <laughs> I no, I get that. I just wondered if you then go back and be like, okay, I give it. No, a level, I'm fuck watch it. no. Okay, cool. Except right. for the Babadook, which was sick. That yeah. said, though, that and said, slightly though, better than this film. That mm. said, though, if you are listening to this and you are on Peach's journey. This is a mm. film that I think you should start your journey with. It is gory, it is chilling, but it's also so beautiful and it will make you appreciate your life. Mark, thank you so much for joining us on Spooko. Um, Pleasure, guys. Thanks, thanks yeah. for having me. It's been fun. Thank you, Mark. Good fun. And, and Run, Rabbit, Run coming in future <laughs> sometime. <laughs> oh, who am I? I don't think I've ever done that before in my life. <laughs> you, you've sold out my <laughs> Yeah. And yet. Uh, this was recorded at FBI Studios. Please like, subscribe, and follow wherever you can and as much as you can. And Resh's, what's up?